0: Treat your skin to clean vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at Oseamalibu.com. That's O S E A MALibu.com code SUMMER.
1: To kick off this episode, we were all given homework to find a favorite TikTok video.
2: Look, this job is tough.
1: All I can tell you at the moment is that I absolutely hate the text-to-voice voice, voice, the robot voice that you hear reading the text out. I hate it so much. Why do they all speak in it?
0: I mean, they don't have our dulcet tones to voice their videos, so maybe that's why.
2: My favourite TikTok is Billie Eilish trying to fit a ukulele into her mouth. Do you guys remember when I was 15 and I fit <laughs> an entire ukulele head in my mouth? It is an extraordinary video. Shall we see if I can do it again? I very much doubt it, but I shall try.
0: <laughs> and I'm a huge fan of all of the nonsense advice spewed forth on Fintalk, but in particular, a song about crypto boys.
2: Mention NFTs one more time. And it's not fucking tonight.
0: My absolute favorite line is, it's been so long, either you choose your wallet or me, you better hope you're getting laid in (laughs) Web3.
2: I'm just devastated we missed the opportunity to use that in last week's crypto episode.
0: There's always the next one.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, But today's episode is all about the world's most popular app, TikTok. You're listening to Money Talks from The Economist, our weekly podcast on the markets, the economy, and the world of business. I'm Mike Bird, and in today's show, we'll chart the social video app's meteoric rise.
3: I think TikTok's made it particularly kind of easy to pick it up. You know, you you open the app, you don't even need to register, you don't need to follow people, you don't need to have a network of friends on it. It just starts showing you videos immediately. If you don't like one, you swipe, and there's another one.
2: And we'll look at how its competitors have struggled to copy its popular features.
4: I think Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg was probably one of the first to publicly recognise this competitive threat. But you've also seen others report earnings that reflect impact from TikTok and how they've been able to take attention share away from the incumbents.
0: We will also talk to Federal Communications Commissioner Brendan Carr about why America is so wary of the Chinese-owned app.
5: A lot of people look at it and say, well, what's the national security issue here? It's just funny videos. That's just the sheep's clothing. Beneath the surface, TikTok is really a very sophisticated surveillance tool. And we'll ask, is TikTok
1: welcome competition in the social media space, or is it a geopolitical time bomb just waiting to go off? Well, hello again, Alison Samaya.
0: Hey, Mike. Hi, Mike. Be honest, have you also both spent the last week cultivating a TikTok addiction?
1: No, so I I don't have a TikTok addiction because uh, it was banned in Hong Kong when I was there. It was withdrawn from the the app. So this episode is really based on the reporting of uh, one of our colleagues, Tom Wainwright, who's written this week's briefing looking at the rise of TikTok.
2: Right. It is the first Chinese consumer-facing app to take off
0: in the West. But as Tom's investigation shows its popularity could end up being the source of its downfall.
1: But before we talk about the end of TikTok, we should probably talk about the, uh, the beginning of the app. I asked Tom to get us all up to speed.
3: Well, TikTok's history isn't a particularly long one. It's only five years old, but its roots do go back a little further. A full decade, in fact, to 2012. <laughs> <laughs> That's when a bookish young entrepreneur from China called Zhang Yiming founded a software company called ByteDance in an apartment in an area known as China's Silicon Valley, northwest of Beijing. (laughs) Among its earliest creations was a site called Neihan Duanxi, or Inside Jokes, a platform for sharing, as its name suggests, funny videos. The app took off among young people, who organized gatherings in cities across China. Videos shot by users showed them greeting one another with coded messages in public, beeping car horns, opening car boots. But in April 2018, the site and app was shut down after China's media regulator objected to its, quote, vulgar content. Another early ByteDance app that fared better was TuTiao. Today it's China's largest news aggregator with 360 million users. Both apps used artificial intelligence to learn what kind of sketches or stories their users liked. In 2016, Mr Zhang was wondering what else his algorithm could do. That autumn, he released Daoyin, or Shaking Sound, in China. It was modelled on Musical.ly, another Chinese-made lip-syncing app that was popular with young Americans. Eight months later, ByteDance released a twin app outside China with an identical interface and algorithm, but separate content, TikTok. At first, no one outside Asia took much notice. But in 2018, the same year the Chinese government shut down its Joke app, ByteDance bought Musical.ly and migrated its 100 million users to TikTok. The takeover sparked the first US government national security review over its links to China. Chinese
5: tech giant ByteDance's $1 billion of acquisition of Musical.ly two years ago, which it then turned into TikTok, is reportedly under review by the Treasury's Committee on Foreign Investment in the U.S.
3: But that wasn't even a speed bump on TikTok's stratospheric growth.
5: More than a billion
2: people around the world are now using TikTok every month.
3: Last September, it reached a billion users in half the time it took Facebook, YouTube or Instagram. Today, TikTok is downloaded more frequently than any other app.
1: Thanks for that, Tom. Super fascinating. So TikTok's incredibly popular, even by the standards of sort of other wildly popular social media. I mean, one stat that stood out from your piece was that American TikTok users spent an average of 46 minutes a day on the app, which is a fraction longer than they spend on YouTube and a full 16 minutes longer than they spend on either Facebook or Instagram. And that number could be set to go up. The average Doyen user spends 100 minutes a day on the app, which accounts for more than 12% of total Internet time spent in China. So how has TikTok gotten to this stage where it's this sort of expansive, incredibly popular app all around the world?
3: I think there's there's kind of two parts to it, really. I mean, to be a really successful social media app, you've got to be good for the the so-called creators, you know, the people who post the videos, and you've got to be good for the people watching the videos. You know, you've got to make it work for them, too. And I think on the first front, TikTok made it particularly easy to make and edit and upload videos. And I think another thing that appeals to creators about TikTok is the way that videos are discovered on TikTok um, allows anybody potentially to go viral. So a network like Facebook, it kind of depends to a large extent, your success on Facebook depends to a large extent on your existing network. And so the most followed accounts on Facebook tend to be people who were famous before Facebook, you know, it's footballers, it's singers, people like that. On TikTok. Any video can be kind of plucked by the artificial intelligence algorithm and, and made wildly successful. And as a result of that, the people who have the most followed accounts on TikTok tend to be people who are just famous for being TikTokers. So the most followed account is a guy named Kaby Lame, who's a Senegalese guy living in Italy who just started doing funny videos and really took off. Hi,
2: my name is Kaby.
3: I love you and I love you to make people smile. <laughs> and what about viewers? I think TikTok's made it particularly kind of easy to, it's particularly easy to pick it up. You know, you, you open the app, you don't even need to register, you don't need to follow people, you don't need to have a network of friends on it, it just starts showing you videos immediately. If you don't like one, you swipe and there's another one. And it's it makes it kind of hard to put down, you know, it just keeps showing you stuff and And the more you watch, the more it learns about what you like. And so if you swipe off stuff quickly, it's like, okay, you know, he doesn't like that. If you watch something repeatedly, it it figures out that that's the kind of thing that you like. And so after a while, it automatically gets a sense of your taste. And so it gets better and better, more and more tailored.
1: Um,
3: And this combination is something that has got more than a billion people
1: hooked. So that's actually really what I wanted to ask you about next, which is that this isn't the first uh, media effort to make short form video produced by a large number of people a big thing. If you think back to Vine, which was, you know, uh, enjoyed a burst of popularity for a while and then was acquired by Twitter and then Twitter closed it down. You know, in terms of the, the format, there's a lot of similarities there. And that was years and years ago. But it seems like with TikTok that a lot of the real magic of why people uh, get so into it is due to the sort of the learning and the algorithm that you're talking about. It's the, it's the ability to discover what you're interested in and present that to you with basically no effort on your own part that seems to be a part of the magic.
3: I think that's a huge part of it, yeah. I mean, the, the other thing is with Vine. I remember Vine, it, you know, it, it did very well for a bit and then just disappeared. And I think part of the problem that they had was that they didn't really offer enough incentives to keep the, the creators on board. TikTok has not made that mistake. They have had for a while a, a thing that they call the creator fund, which gives out money to people who upload videos that are successful more recently it announced that it would be doing a ad revenue share um along the same lines that youtube has been doing for a while so i think keeping creators on board has been a, a big part of it and the other huge part as you say is the algorithm which has just proved to be particularly good at sussing out what people like and
1: then giving them more and more and more of it and you can see this to some extent in the fact that so many other social media companies have tried to adopt the things that tiktok does very well every real you know every time i go on social media now i can see something that was clearly taken almost wholesale from tiktok an effort to replicate that success there
3: Yeah, massively. And I mean, I think Facebook is is possibly the biggest example of this. They've announced that they're going to completely re-engineer the Facebook news feed so that instead of showing you stuff that's mostly based on what your friends are are saying or engaging with, um, it's going to use AI to pick stuff from anywhere on the internet that it thinks you might like. So a, a kind of total turning upside down of the central part of Facebook, which seems to be pretty directly inspired by TikTok and its success. Meta, which owns Facebook as well as Instagram, has also developed a, a thing called Reels, which is um, put out on Facebook and Instagram, which, again, is, it's a kind of very TikTok-esque short video platform, which seems to be doing reasonably well for them so far. And, and again, it seems to be very closely modeled on TikTok.
1: Yeah, we're actually shortly going to speak to uh, Robin Zhu, an analyst who has looked at how sort of worried the other social media companies should be about all of this. So I think that's a really interesting element of it all. Tom, we will be coming back to you to talk a little bit about the sort of conclusions of all of this and who should be worried about TikTok uh, towards the end of the podcast. Sounds good.
3: What
2: seems to be going on here is that Facebook, Meta are trying to copy what's going on at TikTok, but it doesn't seem like it's working.
0: Well, you don't really hear teenagers talk about Facebook at all anymore, And we did hear Mark Zuckerberg mention TikTok five times on an earnings call in February.
5: Apps like TikTok
1: are growing very quickly. TikTok is so big. you see different stuff across TikTok too. That's also reflected in the success that other apps like TikTok have had. We we face
5: a a competitor in TikTok that that is a lot bigger.
1: That doesn't exactly scream, we're not panicking. You're right. And that's why I wanted to talk to Robin Zhu. Uh, senior analyst at A.B. Bernstein, since he's been looking into just how big a threat TikTok poses to the established social media giants. Robin, it's really great to have you here.
4: Hey, Mike. Nice to be here.
1: So if we look strictly at the sort of commercial competitors to TikTok, you've seen all sorts of companies essentially start to ape, start to copy a lot of the things that TikTok does. They've realized the sort of massive popularity, the extremely rapid growth, they're trying to sort of piggyback on that. How much of a threat do you see that being to TikTok's model? Um, do you think it's possible that, you know, other companies eventually get to the point where they've copied enough of the um, the sort of features that users really enjoy and TikTok loses some of its advantage on that front?
4: Sure, that's a great question. You've certainly seen, I think, Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg was probably one of the first um, to... Publicly recognize this this com- competitive threat, but you've also seen you know others. I guess report earnings or reflect impact from from TikTok and how they've been able to to take attention share away from from the incumbents. Now, as you say, um, the competitive response is coming. You've seen various other companies, including Facebook, including Google with YouTube, is doing shorts. Um, people are responding by effectively doing the same thing, right? And coming back with their own short-form video kind of um, offerings based on content on these platforms.
1: So Robin, is it the case that uh, these companies have already seen, that TikTok's competitors have already seen the sort of major impact from this? Or do they still have something to be afraid of in in TikTok's growth to come?
4: I think the key question now, I mean, TikTok has already generated a, a massive amount of user engagement. The key question from here is to what extent can they turn that into... Commercialization into effectively advertising revenues. It's been reported that they want to go from four billion US dollars of advertising revenue last year to twelve billion this year. Douyin domestically is doing all sorts of things with live streaming e commerce, selling things via the live streaming format, and I, I do think that's something that they will try and transplant to TikTok over time. You're seeing initial sort of trials of that outside the US. But yeah, like you know, to what extent will TikTok take revenue dollars away from competitors and i do think that there is a pretty sort of broad way you can you can look at this i mean obviously you've got youtube and facebook and a few others as the obvious competitors to tiktok but theoretically any attention-based business is is theoretically competing with tiktok for user attention and therefore for advertising right and by that you know, you could theoretically include anything from Netflix to video games and, 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 and several other things. So yeah, I think the next leg of the TikTok story is going to be how quickly and how much they can ramp up the revenue of the business and it. And to the extent that they're able to do that also means that ByteDance is not just funding it from domestic revenues and earnings, it becomes a self standing business that can kind of fund its own growth. That's really interesting. So essentially,
1: TikTok isn't profitable yet. But ByteDance is funding it from its other profitable businesses like uh, the Chinese equivalent Douyin, which I guess does mean that when TikTok ramps up the sort of potential real area of future threat to those other companies is when it starts making money. And that's to some extent TikTok sort of harvesting what's currently those other companies revenue streams.
4: Yeah, I think so. Yes, um, effectively, the threat has been on user engagement. The example of in China has been that um, you know Douyin went from zero to 500 million users between sort of the beginning of 2018 and mid 2019. But then they've taken massive share in advertising, and and now in the last couple of years, e-commerce, basically ever since. And so. In TikTok's case, they've taken the user engagement share. Um, and the question now is how much can they turn that into commercialization, into revenue share over time? And I do think that the Chinese precedent is is worth paying attention to. That short form video is truly, it's a highly effective way of generating that engagement and then presumably to monetize it over time.
1: Robin, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, after the break, we're going to look beyond TikTok's industry competitors to look at who else is afraid of the app. And that's mostly a number of governments around the world.
0: Yes, you spoke with Brendan Carr, one of the FCC commissioners, who recently wrote to Apple and Google demanding that they remove TikTok from their app stores.
1: But before
2: that, if you don't have a subscription to The Economist...
1: Well, why don't you, basically? Why not? You can read all of Tom's reporting on TikTok and look at our interactive to get a sense of what TikTok users in America are seeing right now versus users on Doyen.
0: You can get a great introductory offer at economist.com slash podcast offer.
2: And if you're already a subscriber, thank you. You should also sign up to our Money Talks newsletter at economist.com slash newsletters.
1: Both of those links are in the notes to this episode. Now, we've talked about how big a threat TikTok has been to its competitors, but the reality is that for many people who've been very concerned about the monopoly power of, you know, Facebook or Snapchat, the fact that there's been this successful new competitor sort of alleviates some of those fears.
0: Right. It's definitely not the worst thing in the world to be keeping Facebook on its toes.
2: Yeah, I remember when I was in America in my old gig and former President Donald Trump was threatening to ban it.
5: Looking at TikTok, we may be banning TikTok, we may be doing some other things, there are a couple of options, but a lot of things are happening, so we'll see what happens.
1: So Trump's order to ban TikTok was ultimately overturned by US courts. But what concerns a lot of American security types is a law that China passed in 2017. That law gives the government the right to request user data from Chinese companies and their subsidiaries. Adding to these concerns, Chinese state-backed enterprises took a 1% stake in a Chinese subsidiary of ByteDance. That certainly doesn't suggest that the Chinese government isn't interested in what's happening with TikTok.
0: Exactly. But we do have a new presidential administration in the US now.
1: Absolutely. And Joe Biden did revoke Donald Trump's initial order, but some people in the government are still worried about it. Um, We spoke to Federal Communications Commissioner Brennan Carr
2: We should note here that there are currently four FCC commissioners. Each are appointed to five-year terms, and a maximum of three can be from the same political party.
1: Yes, there should be five in total, but there's currently a vacancy. Mr. Carr was appointed by Trump in 2017, and I was curious to hear what his concerns were. Commissioner Carr, thank you very much for joining Money Talks.
5: Great to be with you. Thank
1: you. So you've recently referred to TikTok as the sheep's clothing, hiding a data harvesting operation being run within China. I presume that data harvesting operation is the wolf in this analogy. Could you give us an idea of exactly what you think is going on here?
5: Well, that's exactly right. If you look at TikTok, it's an incredibly popular video. And a lot of people look at it and say, well, what's the national security issue here? It's just funny videos. And as you pointed out, that's just the sheep's clothing. Beneath the surface, TikTok is really a very sophisticated tool or at least functions as a very sophisticated surveillance tool. It captures everything from keystroke patterns to search and browsing history to face prints to voice prints to location to draft messages. And for years, TikTok has been asked point blank is this data being accessed by personnel in Beijing? And rather than saying yes, or yes, and here's why that's not a problem, they provided very evasive answers, including just saying, well, U.S. user data is stored in the U.S. full stop, rather than answering where it's accessed and new revelations have showed that there's a tremendous amount of data that, in fact, has been going back to Beijing. And that's very troubling.
1: So give us a bit of background as well. You're with the FCC. What is the role of the FCC in this area? The logic of what you're saying seems to indicate that there's a question as to whether TikTok should really be able to, to operate in the U.S. at
5: all. I think that's right. So at the FCC, you know, I'm one of four commissioners. And so the agency can only take official action through a vote of the four commissioners. And here, I'm just speaking for myself and writing a letter directly to Google and Apple. But the FCC and myself in particular has a long established expertise when it comes to potential threats from entities tied to CCP. For instance, we've taken action against Huawei and ZTE. We've revoked FCC licenses or denied them to entities like China Mobile and China Telecom. When it comes to TikTok, the FCC doesn't have that same type of direct regulatory authority. So I'm speaking here in terms of the expertise that I've developed, but I'm also not alone. If you look at the US national security agencies, they've all banned TikTok from their official devices. Military branches in the US has banned TikTok. There's bipartisan interest in Congress here in the US as well. My view is I'm part of a broader federal effort that's raising serious concerns about TikTok here in the US. So do you think that there's basically any room for a Chinese company in
1: Western news media and social media at all? Or is it just always going to be the case that if the parent company is is beholden to the Chinese Communist Party, that that's simply not acceptable from your position?
5: You know, I do think there's some room. When you look at everything that we've done, again, Huawei, ZTE, I've personally raised some concerns about DJI, the drone maker as well. Everything that I've looked for in those circumstances has not been, is this entity tied to the CCP full stop? But is it tied there? And then are there some plus factors that give us concern? So, for instance, with China Mobile and China Telecom, there was concerns that they weren't being forthright about data flows. And so I'm always looking for something additional. It's not just enough, I don't think, that there's a tie back to the CCP. Although I do think long-term for U.S. companies, whether it's Apple, whether it's Google, there needs to be a fundamental rethinking of their relationship with communist China. More broadly, looking to move out of the market, I think would be the smart thing, particularly with the allegations of human rights violations over there. But in terms of regulatory action right now... For myself, um, in terms of my position at the FCC, I'm looking for something in addition to just a CCP or China tie.
1: In terms of uh, what you've already done so far, your letters to Apple and Google, have you had any response from them yet? I've given them until
5: July 8 to write a response back to me. Um, and I look forward to seeing that and reviewing that. I basically said, you know, Parallel to that national security concern that we've raised, it strikes me that given the misleading statements they've made about data flows, indicating that it's all staying here when some's going to Beijing, that that's a violation of their App Store policy, sort of separate and apart from the national security question, which is to say... When you have apps there, you have to disclose who's getting your data, what's it being used for, where is it going, and so my letter to Apple and Google was just apply the terms of your app store policies. If you don't think you're a national security expert and can't boot something from your app store on that basis, well then look at the data flows and whether they have been upfront about that, and there's precedent for that. Google and Apple have kicked uh, apps out of their stores before, for uh, sending data to servers in China without disclosing it. So as to them, I'm not saying you have to be a national security expert. Just apply the terms of your own policies, and I think that would result in them getting kicked out of the App Store.
1: Finally, I just wonder, how afraid, how concerned should we be about this?
5: What's the worst thing that could happen to your mind if this issue is left unaddressed? Yeah, I'm concerned about it. Even as late as this weekend, after all these revelations came out, TikTok continues to misrepresent the data that they're collecting. They went on TV here in the U.S. and said they aren't collecting face prints. Their own policy documents show that they are collecting face prints. Same with browsing and search history. So the CCP is engaged right now in creating one of the world's most sophisticated data collection efforts. And there's no entity that does business in China or is allowed to exist as a business in China that doesn't do so for a single purpose, which is to keep the CCP in power and to maintain their authoritarian control. And so I think it's very important that we get to the bottom of how much data, in fact, has been flowing back to Beijing, how sensitive was that data, because they have a history longer than a, what we call a CVS receipt here back in the U.S. of engaging in business, industrial espionage, blackmail efforts. Uh, so I think that's what we have to be concerned about.
1: So that's a pretty concerning note to end on. Commissioner Carr, thank you very much for making the time to talk to us. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Shortly after we spoke to Commissioner Carr, Marco Rubio and Mark Warner, the ranking Democrat and Republican on the Senate Intelligence Committee, called for an investigation into TikTok and ByteDance's handling of U.S. data. So what does TikTok say about all of this? Well, you heard at the end of our conversation, Commissioner Carr mentioned a television interview that TikTok gave in the U.S. a few days ago. That was Michael Beckerman, TikTok's head of public policy in the Americas, speaking on CNN. Here he is responding to some of Commissioner Carr's concerns directly.
5: So he he ticked through a couple areas. And so he's mentioning we're collecting um, browser history, like we're tracking you across the Internet. That's simply false. That is something that a number of social media apps do where they're right. checking your browser history across other apps. That is not something TikTok does. He's talking about face prints. Um, that is not um, something that we collect. You can, we, we do uh, help uh, find uh, wear on your face to put a pair of funny glasses or a hat as part of a filter, but it's not something that's identifying individuals. Um, he's also confused. He talks about um, keystroke patterns. What that is, it's not logging what you're typing. It is an anti-spam, anti-fraud measure that checks the rhythm of the way people are typing to ensure that it's not a bot or some other malicious activity.
1: And we should say here that TikTok did respond to Tom in the course of his reporting. And they said they have never been asked for nor handed over TikTok users' data to the Chinese government. Speaking of Tom, I want to bring him back now to put all of these concerns in perspective. So let's start with the data issue. What is the app learning about people while they're using it and how concerned should they be?
3: Well, TikTok doesn't really get any more data on you than most other social apps do. There's no evidence, nobody's found any evidence that it's kind of secretly reading your emails or getting your contacts or anything like that. And the kind of data that TikTok has on people isn't massively sensitive. I mean, you know, whether you can or can't dance very well is is possibly, you know, not something that matters enormously if the Chinese Communist Party uh, discovers that about you. Um, But people do have some worries that China could be using this video to scrape sort of face and voice and gait data um, about people um, possibly paired with their identities and add it to its database and I mean it might sound odd but this is something that we know that China is doing at home with its own population building up these kind of population-wide records Um, and people believe that at least in theory access to all the data that TikTok is gathering could be a way for the Chinese government to start building up a a similar kind of database about a billion plus people outside of China.
1: And I guess the second side of those concerns relating to specifically the potential influence that the Chinese government might have over ByteDance and how they might use that over TikTok relates more to what's promoted to people when they're using the app and the sort of lack of information we have or an individual has about what's being promoted to them and why, right? So this this goes to the sort of the algorithm and, and the, uh, yeah, if you think of TikTok as a sort of um, more of a, a news source for a lot of people, um, that's one of the other concerns. What do you think about that?
3: I think that that is, if anything, the the bigger concern that I would have. I mean, it's funny, you know, you might not think of TikTok as being a a news app. And for many people, it's not. You know, what you see on TikTok is is very personalized. But actually, in America, about a quarter of TikTok users say that they use it as a a source of news. And in countries that have weaker mainstream media, that share can go up to more like 50%. If you look at a country like, I think, Thailand or the Philippines, places like that, um, TikTok really is a news platform. And so the idea that a news platform could be subject to the influence of the Chinese Communist Party is something that, not surprisingly, has people rather worried. And if you look at the way that most countries regulate old media, so TV news channels, for example, most countries have got fairly strict rules in place about foreign ownership of those channels for for exactly those reasons. When it comes to social media, most countries don't really have rules like that. And it's funny because if anything... I think the risk from social media is is arguably higher because it it would be so difficult to know whether any manipulation was even going on, precisely because everybody has a personalised TikTok feed. So nobody can really very reliably see whether or not any kind of meddling is going on.
1: Yeah, I've seen a a personal favourite film of mine, Wolf Warrior 2, very, very popular in China. And I must say that the, the actual production values, I would say, are... They're not subtle. They're not subtle. We're not talking about that sort of thing. It's, uh, it's you know, the possibility, say, that, that 15% less of a certain thing is shown to you and something else is slightly exaggerated where you're quite right. It would be almost impossible to tell whether that was actually happening.
3: Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I, I think the Potential for doing this in a subtle way and for doing it in a way that was very hard to detect is what has people worried. And nobody knows if this is happening. Nobody has evidence that it is happening. But it's reasonably clear that the Chinese government, if it wanted to do this, would not find it difficult.
1: Tom, just before you go, is there any chance you can tell us during your reporting you must have come across something? What is your favourite TikTok video?
3: I don't really have one, but I, I mean, there was one that really um, jumped out at me was one of a, uh, I mentioned it in the story actually, of a, a cat that was kind of trying to see what was on top of a kitchen worktop and it eventually plucked up the courage to, to leap up and see, only to be confronted by the horrific sight of a piece of tinfoil, which apparently cats find uh, very, very frightening and it absolutely recoiled in horror from that. <laughs> So that's that's
1: one that I uh, recommend. Well, Tom, thank you very, very much for joining us. Thank you. So I think if we were going to boil down how we at The Economist at least think about TikTok, it would be something like the user data harvesting concerns are probably overblown, but the ByteDance, TikTok's parent company, should definitely be doing more to separate TikTok from its China-based staff. You could do that by doing things like storing user data with Oracle in the US. We also think that TikTok should share more information about its algorithm, the thing that makes it so sticky to alleviate those concerns about manipulation. And all of this is important because we think a failure or even a ban would just further fragment American and Chinese business. Alice, what do you think?
0: I guess, you know, the thing that I find really interesting about TikTok's new ubiquity and rise to being you know the most popular app for teens and people around the world is that you know five years ago that was Facebook and then it was Instagram and now it's TikTok and I I guess I wonder we have all these sort of big picture security concerns about it but is it just that there'll be something else in two years time that all the teens are on and TikTok again will become a sort of faded memory or is its algorithm so good that it will really endure and then we have to take all of these security concerns more seriously
1: yeah I definitely think there's something to that I think we we get sort of preoccupied with these things and forget that like the 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 teens of five years from now will be different people and they may well not find what teens now enjoy doing to be particularly cool precisely because they're their you know older siblings and and they're sort of twenty somethings who are notably uncool. I think the thing that interests me most about this whole thing is it's just this amazing perfect storm where you know as we discussed before, it's like Huawei, when when that was a big thing, it really didn't have a huge consumer impact in the US. You're now talking about this sort of massive geopolitical fight playing out on something that most American consumers of a certain age are really, really into and are using really heavily. Um, Yeah, I find all that really, really fascinating.
2: Speaking of masses of consumers using TikTok, we have some
0: news. Yes, that is right. Setting all of those security concerns to one side, we are now on TikTok. I'm Kevin Callagher, the editorial cartoonist for The Economist magazine for the past 44 years. And today, I'm going to teach you how to draw Vladimir Putin in 44 seconds. Okay, we're going to start with the back.
2: Alice, you made our debut Money Talks TikTok. How did it feel?
0: Uh, It was pretty difficult, honestly. You know, I watched some TikToks to see what I should do and they were all just dances, which I didn't think would particularly illustrate the housing market crash. But anyway, I I gave it a go. Is the housing market about to crash? Global property prices have been on an absolute tear. In the US since March 2020, house prices have climbed 38%. Wait, hang on.
2: I think the housing market crash is the perfect fodder for a TikTok dance. You go high, then you go low. It's it's movement. Uh, you know, it makes itself.
0: I tell you what. You you choreograph it, and then we can give it a go.
2: <laughs> Mike can execute
0: it.
1: Yeah, you can choreograph, and I will. I will not do it at all. I will absolutely <laughs> not. Do it. Can we get to the stats now?
0: Uh, yes, we be best. My stat of the week this week is 15.9 million, which is a record number of guests that Ryanair, the Irish airline, carried in June. Uh, It's a 7% increase from their highest pre-COVID level and possibly explains why, if you've tried to use an airport in the past month, it's been an absolute chaotic nightmare.
1: I think we might have to come back to this at some point, but Asia's airports seem fine to me. It's probably something to do with not a single Chinese tourist leaving or entering the country. My statistic this week was negative 1 billion euros, and it is the German balance of trade. Uh, It is in deficit for the first time in 30 years. The minus 1 billion figure, pretty small in relation to the surpluses that Germany usually records. You go back to sort of parts of 2015, 16, sometimes 20 billion euros a month was the normal surplus. But it really is a massive, massive turnaround for a country that's used to exporting so much and importing relatively little. Um, Yeah, huge turnaround, mostly based on the, you know, the surging price of oil and gas, uh, which is both affecting domestic industry and also meaning they're having to import a lot more than they did previously.
2: Okay, well, this is embarrassing because my stat is remarkably similar uh, and relates to the UK's current account deficit, which was 8.3% of GDP in the first quarter of this year, which is the highest reading on record. Um, So, you know, only a billion for Germany. 8.3% of GDP. Read it and weep.
1: That's probably, yeah, that's a bit more. Bit more. Fair play. UK wins that one. Biggest, biggest trade deficit. Good stuff. Our thanks this week go to Robin Zhu and Brendan Carr.
0: And thank you for listening to Money Talks. Don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.
1: Please send us your favourite stats, favourite TikToks and any feedback to podcasts at
0: This week's show was produced by Marie Keyworth.
1: Our engineer is Nico Raufast.
0: Our editor is Kim Gittelson. Her favourite TikTok is predictably a spoof about a guy who records sleep noises.
2: I have one
5: goal, and that is to get the best possible sounds for people to fall asleep to.
0: I'm Samaya Keynes. I'm Alice Forwood.
1: I'm Mike Bird. And this is The Economist.